Welcome to Read By, where today's finest authors read what matters to them, from their homes to yours. In this episode, Mag Gabbert, a 2021 Discovery Poetry Contest winner, reads Catherine Nuremberger's essay, Thin Blue Line. To learn more from Gabbert about her choice, check out the episode description. And now, Read By, Mag Gabbert. Hi, this is Mag Gabbert, and I'm going to read a nonfiction essay titled A Thin Blue Line by Katherine Nuremberger from her collection, Brief Interviews with the Romantic Past. I've decided to read this essay because, well, first of all, I was told we didn't have to read poems for the podcast. And second of all, I wanted to read something different because I often find that one of the best ways to work through my poems is to read different things, to read prose pieces, whether fiction or nonfiction. And I just find so much to admire about Nuremberger's work. These essays are sort of the exact kind of alloy between poem and prose that I would aspire to write if I could. I love the way they progress sort of in this whimsical, leaping, lyrical way. I love the interesting bits of research, folk tales, all different kinds of material woven in. And I just love this distilled, fascinating way that so quickly she's able to reach these really fantastic kinds of epiphanies. So I'm going to read a thin blue line now. The summer was the greenest since we moved to this farm at the edge of a town where I practice keeping quiet and other forms of politeness. In the evenings, I would pull stinging nettles from around the young pumpkins with Rachel, who was the first person here I spoke to freely. Even though she is practically a witch in her own right for what she knows about plants and tinctures, she could brew an abortion for you out of what's growing in my pasture if the pending legislation in these parts goes as badly as it might. She had never heard the old story about the sister who gathered such nettles and stomped them into flax to sew into shirts to throw around the necks of her cursed swan brothers to save them back to princes. It was also the summer when Rachel's son, Theo, couldn't get out of bed most days and didn't eat and reminded us all that it's pretending to think he'll live forever. But we didn't talk about it much because how can you? There was an evening when he was feeling good, so he came out to pick cucumbers for his brothers, who eat them like apples, and I gave him a side hug and said, I'm happy to see you. And he said in that wry way of teenagers who are happy but keeping it cool, yeah, the boy lives. It was the summer I talked instead about phlogiston, which was an early explanation for why sparks float up and why we exhale something lighter than we inhale. When a gas one-third the weight of air was discovered in 1766, every scientist on and off the continent spent the summer filling calf bladders to bounce around their laboratories. Phlogiston, they thought, was why the aeronauts could one day send their balloons right up to the edge of the atmosphere to discover that, in fact, 
there is an atmosphere. Watching the Montgolfier brothers' huge balloon drift off, an old woman began to cry. Coming right to the edge of understanding does that to me sometimes, too. But the way she explained it was, Alas, when they have discovered the means of escaping death, I shall not be able to take advantage of it. When Theo is feeling good, he does magic tricks for us. He likes to pull numbers out of the air, and he can make an egg bounce. He keeps a little collection of riddles, which are and are not magic tricks. He has a theory that he's died before, and he will again, and that it's like leveling up in a video game. He never makes his brothers give him a turn with the controller, so we just sit on the couch together and watch the pixelated prints zip and jump in a blur of green across the black screen of sky. The sister was sewing against the clock. She couldn't speak. She only had seven years. Her husband, the king, saw her picking nettles in the graveyard and thought she was a witch. Rachel and I laughed at this part because what can you do but laugh to realize it is his flames licking at her ankles as she flings the shirts into the air to catch around the necks of a descending flock of belligerent and wing-beating swans. In the end, all is made right. The newly unenchanted princes save her from the fire. The king promises never to burn his beloved wife at the stake again. The youngest brother, alas, was a sleeve short and had to live with a single wing dangling off his body like a form of amputation or miracle. Against all odds, he grew very old that way and loved to charm children by making it seem he had plucked a feather from behind one of their ears like magic. There were, of course, days when he tried to button a shirt and he couldn't help but curse that wing. But later, when all of his brothers were gone and also his sister, he'd look down at it tenderly, that treasured gift from the summer he came back down from the air. Nine Two Y's Red By is produced and commissioned by New York's Nine Two Y Unterberg Poetry Center, a home for live readings and literature for over 80 years. To invite more authors into your home, subscribe to Nine Two Y's Red By wherever you download podcasts. If you're able, please visit 92y.org slash help now to donate to support Nine Two Y and our new digital programming. Thank you. And thank you for listening. Find more great recordings at 92y.org slash redbind.